Thank you. I'm honored. I'm excited to be here at this time of the year because it is my favorite time of the year. I love Christmas. I'm one of those guys, maybe a little strange. I love Christmas. There's a little choir group up here. I mean, it brings tears to my eyes every time I see that. It's always difficult for me to contain myself. But I, I love Christmas music in general. I'm one of those guys been listening to Christmas music for a couple months now because I love it. I love the season. I, I get excited about it. And, but probably the, the thing I like the most is in stations that would normally be playing secular music to a secular crowd, the name of Jesus is lifted up. I get excited about that because there's a way for Christ just to permeate an otherwise secular market with Christmas songs. And so it's that time of the year that you choose which song you like to listen to more often than not. One that kind of grabbed my attention this year was a song that was from the, uh, the Jim Carrey Christmas Grinch. That's probably now about 20 years old. The, the, the Grinch Who Stole Christmas, I think it was. And that was based, of course, on the Dr. Seuss, which is now about 60 years old, which is one of our family classics. But the theme there is that his heart was just two sizes too small. But there's an interesting song that goes along with that movie, the, the Jim Carrey movie. I was going to sing it to you, but I think it was just advised that I just read it to you. So I'll, my gifting is not in the vocal department. So I'll read it. It's by Faith Hill, and you can sing it in your head as I say out the words, Where Are You Christmas? And you might know this one. It's the familiar tune. Where are you Christmas? Why can't I find you? Why have you gone away? Where is the laughter you used to bring me? Why can't I hear music play? And the chorus, my world is changing. I'm rearranging. Does that mean Christmas changes too? And the second verse, where are you Christmas? Do you remember the one you used to know? I'm not the same one. See what time's done? Is that why you have let me go? And then it gets into kind of the sappy ending of Christmas is everywhere. As long as you care, if there's love in your heart and your mind, you know the end of that song. And it ties into the movie. You'll feel Christmas all the time. Well, here's my point. that The chorus, I think, is poignant. And I think it's relevant. My world is changing. I'm rearranging. Does that mean Christmas changes too? And absolutely Christmas changes. The question is, do you change with it? Talk to your grandparents. Talk to your parents. See, those who lived 40, 60 years ago, what was Christmas like? See, tidal wave of life, culture, is this great big tidal wave in the sea of life. And I'm referring, obviously, to the monetization of Christmas. We've lost the concept of the real meaning of of the season. It doesn't mean you have to, right? You can still go against that, but we're easily forgetting as a culture the celebration of the birth of our Savior. We say that, we know that, intellectually we know that, but do we really experience that at this time of the year? That we're remembering or we're observing a moment in time that changed everything. Everything was changed. The shepherds who were standing watching the field that we're going to read about in a few minutes, they understood the grandeur, the spectacular of the birth of the baby Jesus. They heard things and they saw things that allowed them to really experience God. And they came to know without a shadow of a doubt, this baby Jesus was the promised Messiah. We obviously weren't there. We're not the shepherds. We've got a watered-down version as many generations have passed on. But one way to, to swim against that tide of the culture 
of the season is to really know Jesus. We talk about it all the time. We put it on the banners. Don't know where you are in your journey with Jesus. Maybe you're kind of wondering if there even is a Jesus. Or maybe you are sort of been walking with him for a while and kind of, kind of gotten used to him. But to really know, to really experience God. Not in the miraculous way, although God's not limited to that. But I'm talking in the day-to-day, the walk of life, the daily activities. In your personal time reading the Bible, in your personal time praying, Maybe you're going through an Advent series. I'm going through one myself this season. It just kind of helps us stay focused. And what is the reason? Looking for ways to God, looking for ways for God to show up in your daily life. When my kids were young, I would pray over them in the morning that they would see God and hear God. And when they come home at night, I'd ask them, how did you see God today? How did you hear God today? Planting the seeds of looking for God in everyday life. So what does this have to do with Christmas? My fear, my exposure to humanity, as I'm sure you have the same sense, is that we're consumed with the familiarity of the gifts, of the monetary gifts, and we lose sight of the real gift. We get wrapped up in the busyness of it all. The dinners, the gifts, the engagements, all that stuff. We lose sight of Jesus as the reason? It's really about Jesus? So I'm going to tell you a story of something I witnessed a couple months ago. And I think it helps explain this maybe better. I go backpacking every year with a bunch of guys down to Red River Gorge, Daniel Boone National Forest. And we've done it now for many years. And so there's some familiar paths we take. We throw in the backpacks. We hike onto the forest floor for an hour or more, kind of a level terrain, up and down a little bit. And then a a nondescript point, except for there's a little marking in the tree. And if you've watched enough YouTube, uh, people have taken a lot of YouTube videos, you can kind of see where it is. You make a hard left turn. And as you make a left turn, we start going up and up and up and up and up with our backpacks. And the terrain gets pretty rugged. And it gets pretty tough to do it. But we've got a goal in mind. Because we keep going up, and the train goes up, and we're grabbing a hold of roots, and we're jumping over rocks, and we're doing some stuff that's otherwise a little dangerous. Fortunately, we make it out alive. And then we come near the top, and there's a sheer, near sheer 30-foot-plus wall that we have to climb up, smooth wall, that we have to climb up to get to the top of what we know as cloud splitter. And cloud splitter literally splits the clouds. It's that tall. It's that high up in the air. It's above the tree line. And so we've used ropes, we use some tree roots, whatever. We find our ways that we get to the top of this thing. And there's this area about as big as a football field, maybe. A little bit bigger. And so we walk all the way to the back of this thing, and we, pinch, we pitch our tents back there, kind of on the edge of this cliff. And I'm one of the guys that puts my tent back there as well. And it splits the clouds so you can see the clouds in the valley and the fog along the river in the early morning hours. But when the, cl- when the fog lifts, you can see this expanse that's just huge. It's as big as the, as the eye can take in. It's 360 degrees. And it's an amazing view of God's creation. But it takes a certain level of maturity to take it all in because it gets kind of overwhelming. It's as far as the eye can see. And nothing spoils the landscape except for the recently installed GPS towers that you can see at nighttime. But outside of that, but it helps our cell phone range. 
But outside of that, it's this glorious landscape. It's spectacular. And so we camp up there, and we camp on this front half where we can just see this every day. And day hikers that are not out there for the week, they're just out there for the day, will often make this trek, come up the steep train, come up to the wall, and get up there just to see the view. And everyone says the same thing. It's sort of like, whoa, look at this, dude, that's amazing. And you'll get the usual generational selfies while looking back on the uh, vistas. Everybody takes pictures, take pictures of themselves. It's a great, it's a great place. We even witnessed an engagement up there one time. Kind of a stunning place to have an engagement, but we were the witnesses to it. So one thing that grabbed me this year is a father and his son came up there. And the son was, I'll make him at nine. I don't know how old he was. And we occasionally talk to him. We, we make a little small talk with him. But there's this couch that we refer to just below the cliff that we sit there at nighttime or in the daytime. We have a breakfast down there. And you can put your back up against the couch. And you look over to this vista. It's just, it's just stunning. It's stunning. It's spectacular. Well, this father and son came up there, and the father and the son, they made all the way. They trekked the 30-foot wall. They did all this hard stuff. And they get up there, and the father looks at it. He goes, look what we got going on here. And the son looked down. They were in the couch, that lower area, about six feet down. And it's all sandstone. A lot of it's sandstone. And in the couch area is this little divot that because of weather and erosion, it's full of sand. And this nine-year-old, without missing a beat, looked at the vista, took two steps, turned around with his back to the vista, and played in the sandbox. Because to him, the sandbox was familiar. He knew sand. But he put his back to the vista and just focused on the sand. You know where this is going. He missed the spectacular for the sake of the familiar. To his defense, he didn't have the maturity to take it all in. To his defense, he wasn't a willful child. <laughs> he just did some pretty major hiking. He was a good kid, but he couldn't take it all in. He couldn't appreciate it. He saw it, and he moved on to the familiar. He did the best he could. Reminds us, uh, reminds me of that story that Elder Ken frequently talks about from C.S. Lewis from Weight of Glory. C.S. Lewis says this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offering of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. My fear is that we are far too easily pleased during this holiday season. See, we're tempted to be distracted and pleased by the familiar rather than looking at the spectacular. It's easy to look at the familiar. It's easy to look at the commercialism that's going on, big time, especially this year. It's been going on since October. This year is different because the season was compressed, the retail season was compressed, and the retailer said, whoa, we're going to lose out on some money. We've got to jack this thing up and get the fever going a little bit earlier. And so early on, there was this major move to get the commercial side cranked up. They've got to make some money. 
Nothing wrong with that. But it's easy to have that, that momentum take us back and allow us to play in the sandbox and miss the spectacular. Because truly, to really understand, to get it in your head, I've been a Christian for most of my life. I'm 62. To really understand that the God of this universe sent down his son in the form of a baby and used Mary and Joseph and some humble people and ended up in an inn that didn't have any room in it. And it wasn't like a mistake. I meant to make a reservation. didn't happen. No, it just was all part of the plan. It's really hard for me to grasp that. That Jesus would grow and he would pay the price for my sins and that whole concept is just so hard. So I get the nine-year-old kid who wanted to play in the sand. But can we spend time marinating in the truth of Jesus being the reason and allow it to permeate our thinking, permeate our prayer life, permeate our meditation. That's about Jesus. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a slow walk through Luke 2. And I'm hoping this is super familiar to everybody, that you've all been there before. Luke 2 is a great uh, story of the gospel. We'll just do a sh- of the uh, birth of Jesus. We'll just do a short couple of verses. But I want you to walk with me now that the video is back up. And we can see the, uh, we can see the verses un- unfold and kind of we'll go through it together. So, you know, there was a census being taken in Bethlehem, which is why Mary and Joseph had to go there and Mary was pregnant. It wasn't Joseph's baby. It was the Lord's baby. We know that story. I'm assuming a backstory there. And so verse 6, uh, Luke 2, verse 6. While they were there, the time came for a baby to be born. So the nine months was up. It happened to be now. We got to go. Her water broke in Bethlehem. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available. More than likely a feeding trough because there was no other space to go. Well, that same night, amazing coincidence, there were shepherds staying in the field nearby, guarding their sheep. And back then, shepherds would do night shifts. They would trade off. No shepherd would do all eight hours of night, ten hours of night, whatever. They would trade off. And so this was the the four hours, the five hours of of shifting that the, the shepherds were doing. Blackness of night, maybe there was moonlit, Pretty dark, pretty quiet, not much going on, except for wham! Suddenly, the angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. Well, who wouldn't be? I bet they were just like on their backs, because all of a sudden, this heavenly spotlight hits down on them when nothing's going on. Wham! And there's an angel probably suspended above them, because this light shone around them. And the angel said, hey, don't be afraid. Too late for that. They'd already done some things. They were freaked out. But here's the deal. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. These were just shepherds. These were just guys, dudes, low level on the totem pole, hanging out. They knew about the Messiah. They knew about the coming, but they didn't know a baby, Bethlehem here tonight, now, me, us. What do we got to do with this whole thing? And you'll recognize them by this sign. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloths lying in a manger. 
And then if that wasn't big enough, if the heavenly spotlight wasn't big enough, bam, the angels were joined by a vast host of others. The armies of heaven praising God. You can only imagine. And you try to look into this. You can't fully grasp the armies of heaven. Vast, what was it, thousands, millions? I don't know. It was a spectacular sight. These little shepherds are witnessing. I had a chance to go to the OSU-Wisconsin game last weekend, and the victory was sweet for those of you who like Ohio State. And after the game, these cannons went off. Billions of pieces of confetti filled the air above the stadium and over the field. And the lights were intense, so every piece reflected light. It was the most amazing thing. I'd never been to a championship game before. I'd never seen it. It was amazing. I couldn't take it all in. And I just sat there in awe and wonder, like a little kid. And these folks are pulling out their phone. I'm thinking, forget the phone. You'll never capture it. If you can't get it with your eyes, the phone's not going to do it justice. But just the spectacular of all this light slowly trickling down. No, I'm not saying there was confetti in the field, but what I am saying, it was an amazing sight that they couldn't fully grasp. And the reason that I want to stay with this for a second is it's appropriate to stare into the spectacular as we hang out in the familiar. Because it's hard to grasp these things. And the armies, the hosts were saying, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. Peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. And then just as fast as they came, they're gone. I assume. That's my assumption. They weren't like trickling out here. Hey, see you guys later. Take care. They're gone. And the angels returned. Shepherds said to each other, dude, what just happened? That's not in the text. I added to the text. Let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem. They're walking distance from Bethlehem. Let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. They witnessed an incredible heavenly encounter, and they said, let's go. They could not stop. They had to go. They hurried to the village. They probably roused the sleeping shepherds who had their shift off. Might have just finished. Said, Dude, you got to get back up. We're out of here. We cannot stay. Watch the sheep. We're out of here. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph and there's the baby. Wait, we just heard this. We just saw this. This is what was just told us. And after seeing him, Jesus, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about the child. They couldn't keep quiet. They were overcome with the spectacular. And they told everyone, do you know what just happened to us? Because it didn't happen to the people in Bethlehem. They didn't know. No, let me tell you what just happened. Whoa. And all who heard the story, they were astonished. Mary, who obviously already knew, she had been visited, this was not new information, but she treasured all things in her heart and thought about them often. I just love that. Such a sweet little line. As a classic mother would, just treasure these things in her heart. And the shepherds went back to their flocks. But they were different this time. They were glorifying 
They were praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. They went back to the familiar, having experienced the spectacular. I spoke of that young boy who played in the familiar because he really couldn't grasp the spectacular. You might think that I'm opposed to the familiar, but actually quite the opposite. The shepherds were in a very familiar place when they were visited by heavenly hosts. I wonder if we don't really need a familiar place to fully experience the spectacular nature of God. Because the whole thought of a familiar place is nothing is distracting me. It's familiar. And God can show up. Certainly miraculous. I'm not referring to that. Just in the quietness of the moment. And speak to you. That you wouldn't have heard if you weren't distracted. It's almost like a, like a spiritual office. A place that's familiar. The familiar chair. The familiar blanket. The familiar time of day. The familiar rhythm. The familiar routine. Whatever it is. I hear people that tell me that they spend time with God in their car. And I have full respect for that. But I know when I'm driving, I'm distracted. And if I'm trying to focus on what Jesus is saying and focus on the scriptures and focus on glorifying God and negotiate the fact that I don't get in an accident again, that to me is distracted driving. So I like that. But if that's your only place, I wonder if it isn't inhibiting a little bit of really observing the spectacular. To really meditate, to really marinate in the verse that you're reading in the Bible. To really let God speak to you in the moment. To fully understand what this whole thing is about. Because, man, it's way beyond my comprehension. I get it for this nine-year-old kid who couldn't take in the view. But as God continues to open up our eyes and open up our eyes and open up our eyes, can we see more and more of the Jesus of the season? Can we understand what that means to us? What's the ramifications of that? See, that kid turned his back on the spectacular to play with the familiar. He could have had both. He could have put his back up against the couch. I showed you that, that stone couch and played in the sand and taken in the spectacular. So it's not, one, it's not mutually exclusive. It's not either or. It's both and. Embrace the season. Embrace the gifts. Embrace the time. Embrace the family stuff. We had a great day yesterday. We were making gingerbread houses and all this fun stuff. It was great. So embrace the familiar. But make room for the Savior. There is no room for Jesus in the inn. Is there room for Jesus in your inn, in your life, in your heart, in your rhythm? Is Jesus there? So embrace the familiar. But at the same time, make room during the season. Rejoice that Jesus is the reason. And really know Jesus. And in the fullness of time, make him known to other people. But first know him for yourself. Take in the spectacular view of what does Jesus really mean. And if it's overwhelming, it's exactly where I want you to be. Because we can't fully grasp it. We can't fully grasp it. Will you pray with me? Father God, it is amazing that we are called your children. 
I don't fully get my salvation. I intellectually understand it, but I don't fully get it. And I want to know more and more of you. I wanted to view the spectacular deeper and deeper and deeper because you are so deep. Like looking at a forest that never ends. You never end, God. Your love, your grace, your kindness, your goodness. God, we are just kids playing in mud pies. Give us the ability to enjoy the fullness of what you created us for. And in this season, with a special attention on the birth of the baby, what that means for us. God, thanks for being patient with our finite nature. We love you. Thank you for loving us. In Christ's name, amen.